Hi, welcome to Cochrane Alliance Church and our online sermons. We are so glad you are able to join us. We pray that this sermon will be a blessing and an encouragement to you this week. Heavenly Father, your word admonishes us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. It says that you oppose the proud but give grace to those who are humble. By the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, teach our church community this way of living out Christ with one another. May we, may I, Lord, put aside self-serving ways and choose to consider each other's needs first. May each and every one in my fellowship of believers be determined to keep the unity of the Spirit. Father, I ask that you destroy gossip, envy, and strife that may yet be among us. Keep us from judging one another. Father, I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that any pride be broken among us and all the ways that is evident in our living be destroyed. From our need to be right and our opinions to be validated, Lord, save us. From our prejudices and preferences, Lord, save us. From our sense of entitlement, O Lord, deliver us. For our refusal to serve and use our gifts for your kingdom's purposes, O God, forgive us. For our lack of repentance and brokenness before you, O God, have mercy on us. O God, help us in our weaknesses. Teach us to walk in your way that as a community of faith, we might move forward in humility together in the kingdom work that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's a little bit of a, a sample of, of what's here, and I'd love it if uh, a good chunk of us were praying each day for our church, kind of working through it together, and we'll have our prayer summit on March 31st. So we're talking about prayer for the next seven weeks or so, and in some ways, prayer seems like such a simple thing. Prayer is simply to have a conversation with God, to speak and to listen. But in reality, many people find prayer difficult and confusing. I've even had conversations with people where they question their own heart motive in prayer. They're like, well, what if when I'm praying, I'm really praying for something that isn't right? And, and what if God knows that, but I don't know that? Should I still pray it? And they kind of get all up in their own head, and they're very confused about the whole process of prayer. They question whether they're doing prayer correctly. Even when they're just doing it at home alone, they're tentative because they're like, well, what if I, what if I do it wrong? And you add to this kind of confusion around things, we have, you know, religious institutions and, and some clergy that maybe have overcomplicated prayer, made it more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, I, you know, I've spent my life in the church and, and I'm a pastor, so I pray for many things and, and I still find prayer sometimes a little bit um, confusing because I go, well, I've seen some prayer answered and I've seen some prayer seemingly unanswered and I don't know what the mystery of that is. So this thing that we call prayer that seems like such a simple thing to have a conversation with God actually comes with a lot of questions. People wonder, am I doing prayer right? What happens if I do it wrong? Does prayer change us? Does prayer change God's, you know, plan? And so it's no wonder that the disciples of Jesus, after seeing Jesus praying and, and watching how he prayed and hearing him pray, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so as we begin, I, I think these words from Sky Jathani help give us the right perspective on prayer. He writes, our prayers do not reach God because of who we are or anything we do. We possess neither the power nor the righteousness to be heard by him. Therefore, all prayer relies on God's grace, his unearned hospitality to welcome us into his presence and receive the overflow of our jumbled hearts. So when we pray, it is not up to us to say the exact right words or perform some sort of certain ritual 
Prayer is simply bringing my heart, my mind, and my soul before my creator and then trusting in his grace and in his goodness to hear the deepest desires, needs, and gratefulness of my heart. And it's okay if I don't even fully understand all that's going on inside me because my father knows all the things that are going on inside me. And so I can just come with all the jumbled confusion that I have and simply say, Lord, I'm here. Father, I'm here. And so it's interesting to me that the only record we have of the disciples asking Jesus directly to teach them something is when they ask him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? There's something about the way Jesus prayed that made them eager to learn. There's something new or different or exciting about the way Jesus prayed that they said, we need to learn this. And they said, Lord, teach us. And Jesus then taught them to pray using that format that we now call the Lord's Prayer. Now, from the very first words of the prayer, the very first two words, our Father, we are reminded of three truths. Prayer can be simple, prayer is intimate, and prayer is unifying. All three of these lessons are learned from the very opening of the Lord's Prayer, right? We begin our Father. So notice the simplicity of this prayer. It begins in simplicity. There's no, you know, okay, first you have to do a special ritual. You have to sing a certain song. You have to bow six times, turn around and face north. None of that. It's simply our Father. Notice it's also intimate. We're coming to the creator of all things, a being who spoke all creation into existence, who has existed and will exist forever and ever without end, one who is holy, 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 and set apart, and we are to address this being, this all-powerful creator God, we are to address him as Father. There's a relational intimacy in that word, Father. And finally, the prayer is unifying. God is not just my Father, he is our Father, And we are reminded when we say this that all those who are children of the Father through Jesus are invited to come. God is all of our Father through our union with Jesus, and he's the Father of all who are born again of the Spirit through faith in Jesus. And and then we are reminded that we are then part of a spiritual family of brothers and sisters. And so for the rest of this sermon, I just kind of want to walk through these first three principles uh, that these words, our Father, teach us. And let's just start with simplicity. In Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer, we have two accounts where Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer. We have one in Matthew and one in Luke. And in Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer, it comes directly after Jesus tells the people that he is teaching what prayer should not be. So Jesus says this. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus is like, don't do this. And then he moves into and he says, but this is how you should pray. And then he gives us the words of the Lord's Prayer. A pretty simple to the point prayer. It's it's pretty short. And if we examine the words of Jesus on what not to do when we pray, I think the word simplicity captures it best. Prayer is not meant to be an instrument to show off how spiritual you think you are. No standing on the street corners to pray, proving your righteousness or spirituality, and maybe pastors need to be told no standing on the platform praying for 15 minutes with long, eloquent words trying to prove something. 
And secondly, when you pray, you don't need to keep babbling. You don't need to come up with long, eloquent words like some kind of incantation. You don't need to look or act a particular way. You can be direct. You can be simple because Jesus says your Father knows you, sees you, loves you, and knows what you need before you ask him. In the pagan religions across the Roman Empire, oftentimes people weren't sure how to get their chosen deity to acknowledge them. You know, they would look and they'd say, well, there's, you know, millions of people and, and there's hundreds of thousands of us who worship Poseidon or who need something from Aphrodite or they need something from whoever. And so how am I going to get this God who doesn't really care about me to notice me in my time of need? And so in the pagan religions, they had these ritual prayers that often had people uh, repeating the name of the God or the goddess many, many, many times so that eventually the God or the goddess would not ignore them and would meet them. And even in some religions today, you see an element of this as there's some pretty strange things that people will do to get their God's attention. They'll crawl on their stomachs or go on their hands and knees to prove their piousness before their Lord. And some religions have kind of crossed the Christian faith with old pagan religions. And I've seen things where people like whip themselves to get God's attention or strap themselves to crosses or do other extreme things in order to prove their devotion or their worthiness, in order to get God to hear them. And Jesus says, that's not to be the case with you. We are to practice simplicity in our prayer. Our Father knows our needs, and he is a good Father, and like any good Father, he will hear us and listen to us. We don't need to do anything extravagant to get his attention. In fact, the Apostle John says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So over the past 10 years, I've attended a few different groups that are all seeking God's presence, his power, they're seeking revival, they're seeking fresh fillings of God's spirit. And many of these groups are are very well-intentioned, and they're very sincere. But sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes what I see in their methods is a forgetfulness of this call to simplicity, and their activities actually begin to look more pagan than Christian. I've been to some of these prayer events, you know, and it's It starts to almost feel formulaic, even though they'd say it's spontaneous. But it starts to feel a bit formulaic. There's a certain style that needs to be adhered to. You know, the music must be loud. The sanctuary has to be dark. The leaders are insisting that true worship looks exuberant and expressive. Now, I want to be really clear here. I have no problem with exuberant worship. If you feel like dancing before the Lord, you dance before the Lord. If you want to kneel in your worship, if you want to lay down, if the spirit of the Lord is upon you, go for it. If it's an expression of your love and joy in the Lord, then then do what the Lord is calling you to do. What I have a problem with is when it is subtly taught that these things must be done in order for God to move or his presence to be felt. It has to look like this, that everyone must have their hands raised. Well, do they? (laughs) Everyone must do this. Everyone must do this. The music must be loud. We've got to sing with... And I got no problem with any of that, but I have a problem when it says this must be done. This is what it must look like. It's really legalism in a different form to say we must look like this, act like this for the presence of God to move amongst us. And the danger in those places when we forget simplicity is that people begin to chase spiritual experience, and sometimes it's not even spiritual experience, it's just emotional experience. They chase that over genuine relationship with their heavenly father. They desire spiritual power, but have no interest in the still, small voice of the Spirit. And this is where you begin to get abuse of prayer ministry, or what you might term spiritual abuse. 
I'll give you a story about this. When you forget simplicity and when you kind of make it like it has to be this thing. Um, I, ended up, I ended up running sound, uh, doing the sound system stuff for a traveling revival group one time who at the very last minute, they came into our town and they had booked a rental space in a different place, but their rental space uh, backed out on them or something fell through and they were there in town. They had nowhere to meet. Last minute, they, they asked if they can use our church space. And, and I agreed. I said, yeah, okay, you can come in and use our church. And, and okay, you know what? I'll even run sound for you because I know you're, you're needing that. They were talking about it. Um, now... I was a little bit hesitant, but I knew that there were some people from our church who had been planning on going to this revival thing. So I was like, okay, you know what? This is a great opportunity for me to see what this whole thing is about. Now, when they came in, the leader of this group wanted the music really loud, even though it was just music on a CD. It wasn't a live band, okay? So it was just, just really loud music on a CD. And, and during the time, he had a microphone that he wanted that microphone to be really loud too. And uh, he kept on trying to pump people up. Like, you got to move. You got to dance before the Lord. The Lord requires, like, let's get moving people. Let's do this. Let's dance before the Lord. Like, making people do this thing that felt very unnatural and very forced. And as I watched it, I kind of had this idea, like, this kind of reminds me of the prophets of Baal. Like jumping up and down going, you know, we got to do this before, you know, to get the God to, you know, move amongst us. Again, I got no problem if the Lord is sincerely moving you and you feel like I've got to dance or I've got to kneel or I've got to whatever. If the Lord is sincerely moving you, by all means do it. But when the leader is pumping you up and making it the expectation, I go, ooh, this feels wrong. Now at the end of the jumping around to music, which is about 40 minutes, then it was what they called ministry time. Now, the revival leader thought it would be a great idea if he prayed over me. And, and you could kind of tell this was kind of a power thing. Like, I'm going to show this pastor who the true spiritual guru is here. And I'm going to show his people, you know, who has the spiritual power. And I did not want this guy to pray over me at all. But it's really hard to say, you know, you got all these people who are like, God's going to do something great. God's going to do something great. And, you know, what do I do? No, I'm going home. You're right, I can't do that. So I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess this guy's going to pray over me. And it is the first and only time I have ever had someone actually try and push me over to, you know, trying to push me down as if the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I'm going out because, you know, laying down because the spirit of the Lord is so heavy on me. But it, there was no Holy Spirit power in this. I mean, this guy was pushing. I could feel it. he was pushing my chest, pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. Because he wants to prove something. And there is no power of the Spirit there. I experienced no Holy Spirit power in his prayer. And I felt as though what I just experienced was much more pagan than it was Christian. And like I said, that whole thing reminded me of the prophet Elijah's experience of, of you know, when Elijah challenges the priests of, of the false god Baal to a showdown. Let me just run through this really quick to kind of show you the difference. So the showdown goes like this. Elijah is going to prove that, that God is the true God of Israel to these 450 false prophets of Baal. And the way they're going to do this is they're going to have a kind of a showdown. The prophets of Baal are going to build an altar, and Elijah is going to build an altar. And whichever God consumes the altar with fire first is, true, is the true God, right? And so... Uh, the Baal priests build their altar and then they spend hours jumping around, shouting and dancing and even cutting themselves so that their God Baal will hear them and send fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice and altar. But after hours and hours of intense devotion and religious fanaticism, nothing happens. 
Elijah then soaks his altar with water three times to make sure it's good and wet, and he prays this simple prayer. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel, that I am your servant, and have done this at your command. Answer me, Lord, so that these people will know that you are the Lord God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. I love the imagery of this. Hours upon hours upon hours of dancing and shouting and even cutting yourselves, and there's nothing. And Elijah prays a prayer, and the fire comes. After this, Elijah's being hunted by the king, and he has to flee for his life. And he's feeling discouraged because he's just proven that the Lord God is God of Israel, and yet he's, being, he's on the run for his life, and he's feeling discouraged. And Elijah says this to the Lord. He says, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's just honest. It's simple. Lord, this is how I feel. I'm discouraged. And the Lord replies, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there on the mountain, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave because he understood the Lord was in the whisper. And so the power of the Lord was not in the mighty wind and it wasn't in the earthquake and it wasn't in the fire, but it was in the gentle whisper. The Lord didn't require Elijah to dance around his altar for hours upon hours, but simply pray, make yourself known. And the fire came from heaven. And Elijah simply states his discouragement. And then the, the Lord comes to encourage Elijah, but he wasn't in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire, but in the gentle whisper. Simplicity. Ask and know that you are heard. Abba Macarius of Egypt said this, there is no need to waste time with words. It is enough to hold out your hands and say, Lord, according to your desire and your wisdom, have mercy. If very pressed in your struggle, you can say, Lord, save me, or simply say, Lord. He knows what is best for us and will have mercy upon us. We don't need to do anything elaborate to make God see us or notice us or hear us. We simply need to come and ask. He is our Father. So let me contrast that revival meeting I was at where that guy was trying to push me over and eventually did succeed, I should say, because there's only so much pressure you can withstand like when someone's pushing you over. I went down and I got up. And, but of course, it was like, oh, look, the pastor went down in the power of the spirit. I'm like, no, I didn't. Went down because you pushed me. Um, but contrast that with a true Holy Spirit encounter that I was at. I was at this Holy Spirit encounter, and, and it was mostly just teaching. And then there was kind of a, the very last thing was kind of this ministry time where you could go up to receive prayer, you could pray together. And, uh, you know, during the prayer time, the build-up to it, I mean, there was no music. There was about 60 to 80 people just very quietly praying together in this very oddly brightly lit basement room. They had these like new LED strips in there and so it was down in this basement tucked away in a corner but it was super bright and just kind of like an uncomfortable space. And we were all gathered and there was people praying. I walked out and I walked back in and I was like, yeah, it just feels like any old prayer meeting but the difference was you could sense the presence of the Lord. It was so thick in that place. When you walked in, you had something is happening here. 
I know for a fact that in that particular time of prayer, there were certain people who experienced physical healing. I was one of them. Prophetic words were spoken over people that were absolutely true and accurate. I received that. And some people were set free of demonic things. Yet there was no jumping around, no loud yelling, no manifestations, no incantations, nothing like that. We prayed, we asked, the Lord responded. Again, I'm not saying the Lord doesn't sometimes move us to exuberance, to dance with joy, or, or the heaviness of the Spirit comes and, and you know, it's just so heavy upon you that you lay on the floor and go, Lord, I'm just soaking in your presence. I'm not saying that can't happen. The Spirit might do things that freak us out a bit. Most of the things the Holy Spirit does freak me out a little bit. But we don't chase those things in prayer. We simply come to the Father and ask and then receive. In some ways, I think my kids can teach us a lesson on how we approach God in prayer. When my kids need me, they just say, Dad, can you come here? And if I'm not busy, I'll come. If I am busy, I say, wait a minute. But there's that simplicity of a child who just yells up the stairs from the basement, assuming that I'll hear them. We have a larger house now that we did in Room Heller. So it, um, they're down in the very basement, and I'm up in the upstairs, and they have no doubt that I'm going to hear them somehow. Like, they just yell, Dad! And I faintly hear this, like, did I hear something? Is there something going on? But there's this trust in the simplicity in a child. Like, oh, if I say my dad's name, he's going to hear me. If I say my dad's name, he's going to come. And unlike me, God, our Father, does not get annoyed when his children scream at the top of their lungs from the basement. Now what I do, sometimes I hear them, but I sit there, and I'm like, you got to come find me. Because I know it's not important. It's going to be some, some nonsense. But when we pray, I mean, we really want to have kind of that simplicity and that trust like a child who's just saying, Dad, and just trusting that their dad is hearing them. We pray with all the confidence of a kid assuming that their dad is eager and there to hear what they have to say. And we can pray with this kind of simplicity and with this kind of confidence because Jesus teaches us that God our Father desires this loving father-child relationship with us. So simplicity in prayer comes from intimacy. When we truly know that God is our Father, we don't feel the need to impress him or catch his attention. We can just come to the Father. Prayer is simple, and the reason prayer is simple is because there's this intimacy of relationship that allows prayer to be simple. And maybe this is the best lesson that we can learn today, is that the great privilege for the Christian is that we can approach God as Father, and we are to think of him and call him Father. This might seem trivial, and I never make a big deal out of it when someone prays, oh God, help me, or oh God, help us, or be with us. That's not something I make an issue of. But I do think language is important. And so one of the things that, you know, when I started to really understand the doctrine of adoption, which is that I am truly a child of God, I started to be very intentional about praying Father. I want to use the word Father. I don't want to use the word God. And I'm not going to make a big deal out of it if that's what you do. But I would say this, that as you mature in your faith and, and as you grow in your, your understanding, I hope that you would start to see God as Father more and more. And that it would start to seem unnatural to simply use the title God because you more and more truly see God as your Father. And I think as I became intentional about doing that, it's become kind of that way. I very rarely just use kind of that generic God term. I'm usually more saying Father. There's an internalization of, of who I am as his child. And I think we need to recognize that it's so significant that Jesus tells us to come and say Father. It's just a revolutionary way to pray. 
In the Old Testament scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, when people pray, they don't call God their father. It just doesn't happen. Sometimes God is referred to as a father, but always in kind of this big corporate sense, like he's the father over Israel. But no individual approached God and said, oh, father, Jesus is the only one who does this. And of course, being a member of the triune God, where there's the father and the son, it's very appropriate that he would do this. But what is incredible is that Jesus says we should be like him and we should call God our father. And so all prayer starts from this understanding that we are not approaching a distant, cold, and aloof deity, some God out there somewhere who we have to get his attention. Prayer begins with knowing that we are coming to our Father, who's adopted us into his family, who is so eager to have us be part of his family that he sent his only begotten Son to die for us so we could be made righteous and enter the family. Our Heavenly Father loves us so incredibly much that he pursued us and called us and purchased us with the precious blood of his one and only Son. That is a Father who loves you more deeply than you'll ever fully grasp. That's what Paul says. The love of God is, is the love of the Father is too wide, too high, too, too spread across for us to fully understand it. He is holy, certainly, but he's also intimate. That's what Jesus' use of the word father teaches us. There's an intimacy of father and child when we approach him. What an incredible privilege this is. So recognizing who God is, he is truly our father, and who we are, we are a child of God, is the place where prayer begins. A fundamental truth of our identity in Christ is that we are children of God. The Apostle John eagerly tells us, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. So why is God our Father? What gives us the right to call the almighty, holy, powerful creator of all things Father? Well, it's because Jesus by his life and his death and his resurrection allows us to join with him in calling God our Father. There's the union this mysterious union where we are united with Christ and that allows us to call God Father. Jesus came so we would be fully adopted into God's family. In the beginning of John's gospel, John explains what Jesus accomplished. John writes this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, but with a birth that comes from God. So Jesus is teaching us that as soon as we begin our prayer using the word Father, we're reminding ourselves of the great love that God has for us, that he would send his son to bear the curse of the law, to carry the weight of our sin, to die in our place so that we can be born again into the family of God. And not only are we children of God, but scripture says we are heirs. This means we inherit the things that Jesus inherits because we are united with him. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Not only has God adopted us into the family, but it gave him great pleasure to do so. You bring great pleasure to your father. For some of you, that might even sound wrong. You bring pleasure to your father. He delights in you. Some of you might have a little bit of a resistance to that. Maybe there's some kind of thing you go, how could that be true of me? You don't know, you know, who I am and the things that I've done or the things that I do. And yet scripture says that through Jesus Christ, this is what is true of us, that your father is delighted to have you. 
It's a hard thing to believe sometimes, but it's an essential truth that we must allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. So when we pray our Father, we're reminded of how attentive God is to us. We can simply say, Father. The Apostle Paul reminds us, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And so I think that these words, our Father, lead us directly to one of the most important doctrines of Christian faith, adoption into God's spiritual family. What is the reason God saves us, forgives us, and gives us eternal life? Why does God do all that? Why does God forgive us? Why does he save us? Why does he give us eternal life? What was the, what was the purpose of all that? It's so we can be his children forever. That's the good news of Jesus. Through Jesus, we become children of God, and, and there's this relationship with God that's restored, and we can be with him and be his children forever. And all of this is the reason we call God our Father. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, joining with our spirit to affirm our identity of God's child, is one of the great works of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our Father gives us many good gifts, but the greatest gift given to us is the Holy Spirit, who teaches us and pours the love of the Father into us. And so Jesus came so we might become the sons and daughters of God. Not only are we children of God, but Jesus actually calls us his brothers and sisters. The author of Hebrews says, now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. So let's talk about that final piece. Prayer is unifying. It reminds us that not only do we have this intimate father-child relationship with God, the creator of all things, we also have this unique union with Jesus, our elder brother in God's family, where he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So scripture says Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, and our King, but scripture also affirms that he is our brother and our friend. And so this prayer that Jesus teaches us is unifying, reminding us that when we say our Father, we're united with Christ, united with our Heavenly Father, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and at the same time, we're united in spirit with our fellow brothers and sisters who have also been born again of the Spirit. So prayer is unifying. And so understanding this identity that we are beloved, adopted children of God, united with Jesus so close that Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters, is a foundational point of prayer. We are not worms coming before a distant God who barely tolerates us. We are children speaking with a loving Father. We are invited to come boldly to the throne of our gracious Father. That's what Scripture says. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. And I can't get over this fact that we are invited to come boldly. We come boldly. And so as we close today, I just want to give some practical ways that we can incorporate simplicity and intimacy into our prayer life. The power of simplicity in prayer is this. It helps those of us who are unsure in our prayer. For those of you who are just starting out in prayer or just you've been uncertain of your prayer, I think simplicity reminds us you don't have to impress God by speaking you know, eloquently or anything like that. You can just speak what's on your heart and then you can sit and try and listen. Simplicity also helps those of us who've become too wordy in our prayers, reminding us it doesn't matter how eloquent we are, it doesn't matter how many spiritual buzzwords you know, just keep it simple. And simplicity helps us grow in our faith, reminding us that our Father already knows our needs. He knows our hearts. He knows the motives of our desires better than we do, and he meets us in his grace. So to begin simplicity in prayer, maybe if you want to try this this week, I'll say this. When you first wake up in the morning, 
or as you're getting your coffee or as you're getting your breakfast ready, just try this. Pray, Father, and then fill in the blank with whatever kind of comes out. It's usually a word or a sentence. And then use that word or sentence throughout the day as kind of your prayer anchor. For me, when I do this, it's often just, Father, help me. A lot of my days feel like there's just a lot. And so when I'm making my coffee, when I'm boiling water in the morning, I often just say, Father, help me. And if you want to try something, I, you know, Pastor Larry, me and Pastor Larry were talking about this. Pastor Larry will often tell people to simply say, Father, encourage me. It could be something like, Jesus, be with me. It could be, Lord, give me wisdom. Maybe it's, Father, help me to love. If you want to try something even, I, I learned this in a spiritual formation class. thought the lady was like crazy. And then as I've gotten older, I thought, no, she's very wise. Uh, she would have things like, she, you know, wear a bracelet or have a cross in your pocket. And every time you see that bracelet or put your hand in your pocket, you just say your prayer, Father, help me. Lord, be with me. Just keeps you in that constant state of prayer. It doesn't have to be eloquent, long, or anything. It just keeps your mind focused on your heavenly Father and who you are as his child. I'm going to call the worship team up, and I'm just going to give you a couple other things. It might be valuable this week to grow in your intimacy with the Father, to just take some time to practice listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying, because the Holy Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts. And so if you've, if you've felt some distance, if, you, if you've had difficulty relating to God as Father, maybe you can just ask this week, when you've got a little bit more time, you can ask, Father, how much do you love me? And just sit and wait, listen. Or you could ask, Father, what do you see when you look at me? Let's see what he says. Just one final note as we close. If you cannot call God your Father, if there's something preventing you from doing that, it might be time for you to ask your Heavenly Father why you cannot see him as Father. There could be multiple reasons why you've had a hard time understanding God as your father. Maybe there's baggage from an earthly father who is not as good to you as he should have been or abandoned you. Perhaps you feel unworthy. Maybe you just feel that the term father is too familiar. Who are you to call God father? Whatever the reason is, maybe this is the, the push you need to start figuring that out because as we see in scripture, seeing God as your father is your identity. You are his child. And so maybe you can start that process. We are going to have a prayer team up front. If you want to pray with someone, say, boy, I've had a hard time seeing God as Father. You can come forward. We'd love to pray with you. But when you begin to pray, this is your foundational starting point. You are coming to your loving, heavenly Father as a child. You'll express your love to Him. You'll express your need to Him. You'll express your trust in Him. But you begin first by understanding who God is, Father, and who you are, God's child. And then you can just come. Let me pray over us. Heavenly Father, it says in your word that the Holy Spirit pours the love of the Father into our hearts. And so I pray for each one of us gathered here today and those who are watching online. Father, would you pour the love that you have for us into our hearts? Would you, would you let us know for sure that we are your children, that we are deeply loved? And so Lord Jesus, I ask, that we would more and more see ourselves as co-heirs with you. As hard as sometimes that is to see, I pray that we would understand our true identity as children of the Most High God, as co-heirs with you, seated with you in the heavenly places. And let our prayers be answered. 
Lord, there's so much heaviness on some people's lives and so much discouragement. So Lord, I pray even in this moment that there would be comfort that comes, would there be peace that comes, would there be wisdom that is given. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.